Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello there and welcome to another episode of Monsters Who Murder. And yes, I am joined by the serial killer whisperer, Amanda Howard. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Robert. It's been too long between drinks and I'm just so keen for today. (laughs) Well, it has been because the episode we were meant to do last week has been held up because the person we were focusing on is back in court and therefore there are some legal issues. Exactly. I mean, I don't think it's going to change the episode too much, but as uh, people know who who listen to our podcast, that we do like to make sure that we've dotted all of our I's and crossed all of our T's. And so if there is a current appeal going on, it's best to wait until it's done. Absolutely. Uh, This is a very emotional episode coming up. Uh, It's a 911 call and we've done emergency calls in the past but this one's a little different because we're focusing on just one call. Yeah, we are and it's just it's it's just a case I found almost accidentally when I was doing research for our other 911 calls and this one uh, was deserving of its own episode purely because it really gets into your soul and um I was kind of dreading but looking forward to doing this episode purely because it it is one of those cases um, that, yes, I'm glad you've given a warning because they're probably going to need it. Yeah, indeed. Well, that's coming up a little shortly on Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. In the meantime, let's bring you the latest news headlines. And a new bill to be introduced to the Victorian Parliament would make it illegal to publish the name of any deceased sexual assault victim in Victoria. It would also have the effect of preventing grieving relatives from ever speaking directly to media under their real names or writing autobiographies, if doing so could be seen to identify the victim. Amanda, I get the feeling this is well-intentioned, but it totally misses the mark, in my opinion. If we think of a very famous Australian case, that of Jill Ma, her family, especially her husband, have been very public in talking about her case and raising awareness uh, of sexual assault, of rape, of then being killed. Um, I think this is a bad, bad idea to stop families from owning the narrative of their loved ones. Absolutely. And you've said that perfectly. Um, Tom Ma has actually, you know, been been um, very outspoken about our parole laws in, in this country because Jill's um, killer was actually out 
on bail yeah. for other um, sexual assaults. And because what it does is it not only um, prevents the victim from having a voice, but it actually gives anonymity to the killers as well because you can't sort of talk about one without the other. And it just will create this vacuum where um, rapes and murders are going to be hushed up and, you know, we can't talk about these people. The, the, these women and, and men as well have a voice and they deserve to have it. It's going to stop things like victim victim impact statements being released in in the media and it's going to really sort of um, put a blanket over all of these heinous crimes that are going to create a a way that these people are going to get away with it because we're not going to find well, out I about don't it until know later. It's about people getting away with it what it what they're obviously trying to do is preserve the legacy of these victims as i said it is well-intentioned. No. But the question is whether the families then have the right to use these horrible uh, circumstances to get change, like parole changes and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's, it's not going to happen because they're going to hush this all up and pretend it doesn't happen. Could you imagine if we had a, a repeat of the um, the year 2000 Sydney rapes that we had? The media and the government kept those quiet because we had the Olympics and they didn't want people to know about it then and it took years before we all found out actually what happened then. Do we want that to happen for all of these cases that we don't find out what's happened and, you know, people are going to be put it at risk because this guy's going to walk because there's no one uh, standing there in the public with outrage. Yeah, let's hope this legislation doesn't get up. Meanwhile, Australia's worst female serial killer, Kathleen Folbig, will have to wait until February next year and face three judges in her latest bid to prove her innocence, according to news.com.au. The 53-year-old, who is serving a minimum 25-year sentence in prison for killing her four infant children, will now face the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal next February. Folbig, who was convicted 17 years ago, had launched legal action in the New South Wales Supreme Court against former Chief Judge of the New South Wales District Court, Reginald Blanche, and New South Wales Attorney-General Mark Speakman. Amanda, a recent inquiry reinforced Folbig's guilt... What is this action trying to achieve? Yeah, it's about jumping through hoops a bit. So the last um, inquiry was just that. It wasn't actually an appeal and it was um, asking for the entire case to be re-examined because of evidence that was um, missed or not provided in the actual trial. This is now going on to an appeal because that inquiry was um was denied, so now she's going to try and appeal against it, saying that um, things like the um, the coroner who examined one of the children had actually said, I would say this was a sudden infant death had I not known that other children in this family had died. And so there's things like that that weren't brought out in trial that actually brings doubt to her, her guilt. And so now, because the inquiry was sort of a backdoor way to do it, she's now going the front door and doing a full-blown appeal. Yeah, this one will be interesting to see mm -hmm. where it goes. This is the lady, for those who I'm sure remember, had written things in her diary that did seem to indicate her guilt, but um, her version of events is that they were just thoughts. It, she didn't do anything uh, to her kids and that it was natural death. The courts so far haven't believed that. There has been um, testimony that has been discredited outside mm -hmm. of the courts, but there is a long way to go. If this woman is indeed innocent, it's been 17 years, Amanda, and she's still fighting. 
Well, she is, and I think that she will fight until her very last breath. And as you said, there was evidence um, provided under what is called Meadows Law um, that he had actually testified at many trials, and now other experts have used his law in other trials like Kathleen's trial um, where they say that, you know, um, one one child death is um, is unfortunate, two is suspicious, three is murder. Now she's got more than that. And so they were saying that this law sort of says, well, if there's more than three deaths in a family, there's obviously a serial killer involved. And that's actually been proven because they said it was like one in 72 billion or something um, chances of this happening in one family. And so that has now actually been disproven. The doctor who created this law, Ron Meadow, um, has been stricken from the board in in the UK and every trial that he um, testified at has all been quashed and thrown out. Kathleen's the only one still fighting. Well, we'll keep you updated throughout the years if that's the case, as that case continues. Alleged serial killer and rapist Stuart Wilden will be examined by two mental illness experts who testified for the prosecution at the 2015 murder trial of Philip Chisholm, according to MassLive.com. Boston psychologists Nancy Heaven and Robert Krisnoff testified that Chisholm, who was convicted of raping and killing his math teacher at a Danvers high school when he was 14, feigned mental illness. The duo have now been tapped by prosecutors to conduct their own evaluations of Weldon weeks after the defence submitted a motion to initiate its own examination, hinting at an insanity defence. Amanda, we haven't talked about Weldon before. What can you tell me about him? Tell me a bit more. Okay, well, he's actually, um, he was arrested two years ago. He's 42. Um, he was actually found with the bodies of three women in his home in 2018. So um, like John Wayne Gacy, it, it gets a bit hard to explain when there's bodies actually found there. Um, he, he has been charged with uh, kidnapping and raping and strangling. And the reason that um, we're sort of talking ab- ab- about this from a different point of view is that it looks like that he will do a... Um, um, not guilty by reason of insanity. And so they're bringing in two experts that have been able to fight against this sort of defence before and won. So I think they're sort of sort of preempting what he's going to come at them with and they're going to say, yeah, you're not crazy, you're a serial killer. Okay. Well, now to a killer who only seems to strike on one date, December 12. Alan Grimson has been dubbed the Des Nielsen of the Royal Navy after he confessed to attacking and sexually abusing his murder victims, for which he was jailed for 22 years. After noticing a pattern, police have been trawling through the archives for murders which took place on December 12. A dig is currently taking place which would link Crimson to a third victim. Amanda, if this is true. Yeah. Yep. December 12 must be a date of significance for him. I know. And it gives me chills thinking about what it could possibly be. I've actually been down a few rabbit holes trying to work out what it is, if it's, you know, the date of his mum's birth or if it's a date of someone's death or a divorce or anything. Unfortunately, we don't have enough information yet. But um, we have had killers who've done this before. I think we had a February 12 or February 22 or something killer many, many years ago in in the 70s and 80s. So it has happened before. And um, we often look for patterns like this. And I know that when I'm doing a serial killer case, I actually look for things like this. Uh, There is one case that I think we did recently or is coming up where all of the killings are clumped around a certain time. Actually, it was was the Claremont case. Um, he, He killed only in summer. So, you know, it's like there's something that sort of links these 
these people to these times of year. So December 12th is going to come out as something really significant. And if they find more victims, because they've got two and possibly a third, you know, it's, it's going to be thrilling to actually find out what this is, because this is going to show us how um, entrenched some of these things are in some serial killers' minds. Yeah, right. Okay, very fascinating. Uh, Amanda, before we move on to our psychological profile, uh, I should mention our Patreon page, which is going <laughs> gangbusters at the moment. The support our listeners are showing us is just phenomenal. It helps keep us going. And they're getting the rewards because people on the $5 tier are getting early access to new episodes. They're a week in advance over on Patreon. The $10 plus tier are all getting intimate access to you with your um, secret Patreon Facebook group. <laughs> and people seem to be loving that. And then of course on $20 tiers, people get um, video access to us in group conversations. And then of course the $50 tiers give people one-on-one -on -one access to us. And, and, I love what you're doing on this Facebook group. It's <laughs> fascinating, the interaction I see taking place. And yep. uh, the support is just wonderful. It is. It's, it's been absolutely amazing. And a lot of them are actually saying how how much it actually teaches them about their daily lives. Um, the body language classes that I'm doing, people are actually saying, oh, my God, I was in a meeting with these people and one of them did this face or one of them sat like this and they're like, oh, my God, you know, I can't believe I've seen this in in your in your classes and all of this so sort of hang stuff. on what you're saying is for as little as ten dollars a month you will get the upper hand in business meetings because you'll be able to read body language <laughs> and use this information against work colleagues absolutely it's sort of a pick the psychopath <laughs> but not only that um i've also started to create case files to go with the podcast uh which are going up on youtube as well so they get them early as well um and also we've been playing some games like guess the serial killer moustache and guess the serial killer car and just some fun things like that on Friday nights I usually do. And there is some other bits and pieces coming because now I've learned how to use editing software. Finally, it's only taken me 400 years. Um, I'm actually going to be taking the photos and the Im images I've been using in the body language classes and showing videos. Like um, mm. the, this week I put one up on the normal Facebook page just to show people um, what happened one little piece of evidence in the um, Gypsy Rose Blanchard case where the police officer asked uh, Gypsy Rose the same question twice and she gave two different answers. So this is the sort of stuff that is going in, in the mm. Patreon-only page. So I just gave a taste to everyone the other day on the normal Facebook page, but there is a lot more on the Patreon page. Absolutely. And for access to all of that material, just go to patreon.com slash mwm confessions that's patreon.com slash mwm confessions we'll be right back ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And Robin Robbo. It's the 
most talked about TV show that's not on TV. And I think you guys are amazing. With raw, honest opinions. This was not a mistake. This was a lie. Exclusive stories. Some industry insiders have been talking about this. Is that a Ben Robin Robbo exclusive? And plenty of famous faces. I'm not wasting these gold moments on 60 Minutes. (laughs) The Ben Robin Robbo Show is the new way to stream your news. This is the stuff that headlines are made of. Live every Monday to Thursday at 1pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on Ticker TV or Facebook and Twitter at BRR Show. Watch live or on demand. It's the Ben Robin Robbo Ben Robin Robbo Ben Robin Robbo Show well, in Monsters Who Murder this week, we are linking two themes that we've been looking at, emergency calls and family killers. This one is a case that is not well known, but as Amanda will vouch for, this case will never leave you. This case deals with severe mental illness and may be a trigger for some listeners. If you think this may harm your own well-being, we ask that you skip to another episode. Okay, this week's case takes place in Maybank, Texas. We are in the family home of Sarah and Jake Henderson. They have two daughters, Kaylee, who is seven, and Kenley, who is five. The girls are not Jake's biological daughters, but he loved them as his own anyway. Sarah had a third child, but he lived with his biological father. Looking at the photos of the family with the tiny girls both in blonde hair belies the nightmare that the family was living behind closed doors. We begin the day before the event. It's the evening of November 1, 2017, and Jake has just rung 911. Sarah's behaviour that evening had become erratic. She suffered from paranoia and could be violent with the police, having been to the family home a few times due to Sarah's mental illness breakdown. This time was no different. EMS, this is Trisha. I just thought, I was going to hurt you. Somebody come out here and check my wife out. Okay, what's the address of the emergency? Amanda, that call was disconnected. What What's going on? Oh, well, Sarah had become increasingly paranoid and she was actually getting violent. So though we couldn't hear her very well there, she was heard briefly in, in the background telling Jake to stop from completing the call. You know, we can even tell from this brief in, introduction that he's actually quite calm. He's um, He is trying to deal with his, his wife who is being violent. He loves her and just wants to get her some help. It almost sounds like a bit of situation normal for him, you know, like she's yeah. having an episode. He knows he can't deal with it himself. He needs mm-hmm. to get the police, but this isn't an outrageous scene for him. 
yeah, no, this isn't, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is, um, I just want some help from her because he knows that if he goes off, it's actually just going to escalate her further. So as you said, this is something that he has handled before. He loves her dearly and he just wants someone to come and help because he's obviously done enough over that evening that it just isn't working. He needs the professionals. Yeah, well, after that call was disconnected, the dispatcher calls Jake back almost instantly. Again, we can hear Jake trying to settle Sarah down whilst he's talking to EMS. Hello, you have reached the Gundaraw City Police Department, non-emergent. Please hold a moment. Yes, this is Patricia from EMS. Did you uh, transfer over the call for us playing down there on city? Yes, ma'am, and it's in Payne Springs. Do you have a phone number? He disconnected. Uh, yes, I do. Okay. It's 903-880. And I didn't catch his name. one isn't it Amanda because he's on a fine line she's in the background obviously not wanting him on the phone and he's trying to give information he's really trying hard to keep it going yeah, because he knows that if he says, oh, my God, she's acting crazy, that could be enough of a trigger for her to actually go bigger. And, you know, as as we said in, in the intro, they do have two young girls there as well, you know, and in her current mental state, it could be anything that could trigger her to become violent. And so he's just saying, you know, just 
it's okay, just calm down. You know, she's she's telling him to hang up. She's saying that she's fine, there's nothing wrong with her and she doesn't need the help, you know, but he's seen her like this before and he loves her and he knows that he needs to get her help so she can get better, even if it's just in the interim until further treatment can be done. He's just trying to get her the help that she needs. And he is preoccupied because he's trying to find that balance. Absolutely, absolutely. That's exactly what he's he's trying to do because he could just say, you know, no, I don't care, let's walk away from all of this, I don't care what you do, go outside and smash up the the car or something, you know, but no, he, is, he wants her to get better, he wants her to get treatment. People forget that mental illness is an illness and mm. you can get better from some of them and he wants her to go and get medications he wants her to go and be treated speak to someone and and have the professionals help her get through this okay let's pick up where we left off she's saying she's all right now she's violent no ma'am she said she's fine now. Okay, we can still have them come out and check her out, okay? Uh, okay, does, uh, she, does she have a weapon? No, ma'am. Where is she right now? Right here in front of me. Is this a suicide attempt? No, ma'am. Is she thinking about committing suicide? No. Is she completely alert? Yeah, just in a different state of mind. Okay, is she responding appropriately? Yes, Sir? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I'm sending the paramedics to help you now. It's down the line, I'll take exactly what to do next. If it's safe to do so, so observe her continuously. If it's safe to do so, protect her from herself. Okay. Okay, give me just a moment. Okay, reassure her that help is on the way. From now on, don't let her have anything to eat or drink. It might make her sick or cause further problems. Okay. It's hard, isn't it? He knows his wife isn't in the right state of mind. He said that a few times. But you also fear wasting the police resources and the police time if you think this is going to come under control. He can't know where this is going to go. No, and he is just trying to do the best he can, you know. He's actually having two conversations at once. We're mm. only hearing one of them, obviously, um, but she's actually in the background and, unfortunately, we can't seem to hear it as, as well as I could by myself doing it. But she's actually saying, hang up the phone, leave it alone, I'm fine, stop it. And and she's getting more aggressive the longer that he's on the phone. And so we can hear that his responses are quite short because he doesn't want to give away too much info. So he's saying yes or no, you know, is this a suicide attempt no she's just not 
herself. So he's he's using quite calm words to describe something that is happening. Now she is being violent, she's manic, and she is suffering from um, paranoid delusions. So this is where it's heading, and he's just sort of trying to get her help before anything else happens. But at the same time, there's a bit of a, a oh, this is just mental health now, and there's though the dispatcher is still caring, the questions have She's have running changed. a checklist. Yeah, yeah, it's basically she's now going through, oh, okay, this is mental health, so, you know, have they taken drugs? Have, yeah. Is this Are a suicide? You know, is there weapons in the house? It, mm. it goes to that rather than, you know, well, I will take you through what to do now. Um, it's it's less of that, you know, like if it was, if it was you know, cardiac arrest or something, obviously that's yeah. something very different. But there's still things that... Um, they need to sort of do, but it has become almost, a, oh, this is a mental health call, unfortunately. Absolutely. Let's continue. Just let her rest in the most comfortable position and wait for help to arrive, okay? Okay. Okay, I want you to watch her very closely. She becomes less awake and vomit. Quickly turn her on her side. And before the responders arrive, please put away any pits, gather her medication, unlock the door, turn on the outside lights for vehicle hazard lights. Have someone flag down the paramedics. If she gets worse in any way, call us back immediately for further instructions, okay? Okay, well, like I said, she said she's fine now. Okay, well, they're still on their way, and they can check her out when they get there, okay? Okay. All right, thank you. Yeah. You know, we know what's going to happen here, but he seems really deflated. Yeah, because we hear 911 calls and most people have have heard them even if they don't like true crime and they stay on that call until help arrives. And she has sort of said, yeah, it's up to you. Like you've rung 911, you need help for your wife. And, yeah, so just wait and, and put the dogs away. You know, it's I, hmm. I don't know. It's very, very frustrating. And you know, I'm I'm an advocate for better mental health services in this entire world. And um, this is why, because it's not treated as serious. It's not treated as, oh my God, you know, that this is a heart attack. This is someone who who is mentally ill. It's it it can have the same consequence. You can die from mental illness, like you can die from a heart attack. Hmm. And people just don't see that. Yeah. Well, look, let's recap so far. Jake rung 911, the call was disconnected and they called him back. An ambulance is on its way just to check her out. Then Jake calls again. EMS, this is Ben, right? Oh, yes, ma'am. I just talked to a lady in there a while ago about sending someone out. Okay. Uh, I don't see if I can get a different order. Okay. What was the address of the emergency? Force Lane Drive. Okay. 
So we're in a situation here where Amanda, do you think he really wanted to cancel the call? You know, does it come back to that thing we were talking about just a moment ago where he feels like he's using police resources when he thinks things are going to be okay, but he's obviously a little bit scared? Yeah, I don't think he really wanted to cancel it. I think, you know, she has obviously promised him that she will calm down, take some medications, um, smoke some pot, something, you know, because they were actually smoking pot earlier in, in the evening. That wasn't just an assumption. You know, she, she would have promised something um, as long as he cancelled the call. So she would have said, look, I'll go to bed, I'll go and have a shower now. I'll, I'll take some meds and I'll go to sleep and, you know, I just promise you we, we don't need the police here, we don't need an ambulance, go and cancel it so I can calm down and I think that's what, when he's done it. But the police still turned up anyway. Yeah, I mean, they actually did a welfare check. So they just wanted to make sure that she was okay because, you know, someone else heard heard that doubt in Jake's voice, you know, and they just wanted to make sure that um, Jake and the girls were okay because the police had been called to this house before for similar things. She has um, attacked people in the street and things like that because of her paranoid delusion. So um, it, it's... It's a, a fine line, and I, I actually had had to ring some professionals to, to get some advice on this, you know. But it's because she says she's not suicidal, um, then it means that the police actually have no legal governance to um, detain her and take her to a hospital, um, even if she's mentally ill, even if she's thought disordered, because she isn't um, making any threats against her life or anyone else's. Nothing can be um, sort of done about it if she doesn't want to go, you know. Um, but we have, you know, this woman who, you know, her husband has has rung and wanted help and then rung back and cancelled it and they just sort of thought, you know, well, we'll, we'll just turn up, we'll check her out and obviously she seemed well enough to them um, that they did leave. You know, we've sometimes questioned some of the decisions made but that sounds like good policing, good emergency service care, you know, like to initiate this follow-up. It does happen and it happens a lot and it, it would be because they would have checked that address, they would have seen there's been previous call-outs, they would have gone and checked um, purely because they were on their way anyway. I don't know if it was a quiet night or something, but because there had been history at that address, um, they did go and check and, you know, they, they did all they could because, you know, a mentally disordered person can have moments of clarity when they're in a psychosis, mm. you know, and this could have been a psychosis from whatever meds she's been taking, linking it, it, it with the marijuana as well. I, I think legalise it, but that's a whole other argument. But I think that there's a lot going on here that no one could, could see happening, not even Jake. But at that point when those police turned up, she was... Um, ordered in in her thoughts she was making no threats so they sort of ticked those boxes and headed off mm. so jake then put their daughters to bed in the living room and he had gone to bed with sarah three hours later he woke when the gun she had against his head misfired he then found out the true horror of what had happened here's that call henderson county 911 <laughs> My, my wife is trying to Okay, is this Jacob? Yes. Okay, what is your wife's name? She's trying to commit suicide now. She's trying to choke herself. Why do you keep grabbing your neck? Um, Amanda, 
you're already emotional. Can you explain what's just happened? Um, well, Jake woke up, as, as you said, because the gun that Sarah had put against his head actually backfired and didn't shoot him, otherwise he would be dead too. But um, once he got her off him, he went out to the girls and she had actually fired into their heads a point-blank range and killed them both. And she had intended to kill him too and then probably herself. So um, we can hear her in the background and she is hysterical saying, what have I done? And it's like as if she's now in a moment of clarity and I, yep, yep. It is tough listening and it's going to get a little worse because we now have the aftermath. As Jake continues the call, he describes what Sarah is trying to do. What is her name, sir? Sarah Henderson. Sarah Henderson? Okay. And what does your house look like? Inside? No, the outside. What's the house look like on the outside? Tan brown. Tan? Tan and brown. Tan and brown. What kind of vehicles are outside? A white Tahoe and a, a GMC, a, a, a tan GMC pickup. Okay. Yes, yeah, I can't. You can't what? All right. And how old are the children? Seven and five. <laughs> He sounds very confused. He is. Um, you know, like she she asked him what does his house look like and he said on the inside. I mean, it's all it's, it's almost funny because he has no idea why this question's important, you know, but it's it's more about getting people there as quickly as they can. They don't have to slow down, look for house numbers if they're heading to the brown and tan house. Um, you know, but he's now dealing with the deaths of his daughters, well, his stepdaughters, and his extremely mentally ill wife. And, you know, he's he's trying to answer these mundane questions, you know, and um, he he just, he's just so confused. And, you know, we, we can imagine what he's thinking having cancelled the call a few hours earlier. Yeah. And he is just trying to get help now for something that doesn't need help because the girls are dead um, and he is, he's broken. So, you know, um, yeah. Well, the call continues. And they're in the bedroom. Are they in the bedroom, sir? They're in the living room and they're not breathing? Were you home when she did this, or did you just get home? I was asleep. You were asleep? Yeah. Is she under the influence of any drugs or alcohol? No. And you have the weapon now, sir? access to them or are you keeping her from doing that? No, no, I, I'm trying to. Okay, sir, we do 
do have help on the way, okay? We have an, an ambulance headed that way as well as officers, okay? Okay. Okay. Is there anything okay. else you need to No. Okay. Why did I do that, babe? I don't know. She's not trying to leave or anything, correct? What's going on here today? Nothing's going on. That's why I tried telling me. She keeps telling somebody to after her. There's nobody after her. There's nothing. She keeps saying people are coming. There's nobody even here. And she hasn't been under the influence of any type of drugs or anything? So we can obviously hear Sarah calling out in the background, Amanda. Yeah, I mean, she's in as much shock as, as Jake is. I mean, we heard him three hours earlier talking on these calls, being as calm as he possibly can, being as straight as he could just to get her help. So we know that he has, you know, you know, a persona of, of steel. Like he's he's a tough guy that, you know, was was doing the best he could for this family and now he's broken and, you know, we can hear her saying, my God, what have I done? And, you know, he, he, he said in that call just then that um, she's saying that someone's after her and everything. So she has killed these children, not probably believing that they are her children. And, you know, what we're seeing is like the total opposite end of the spectrum for this man you know he tried to get her help and then he cancelled that help they still turned up the experts turned up and they said no she's okay we're leaving now they're all about to be called back again three hours later because the last calls were before midnight or something and now this is about 3am you know he's he's there's a flow-on effect not just for him but for the responders who came and assessed the situation and went yeah no, everything's all right. Yeah, and, I mean, we're seeing this in hindsight and I know that, you know, but when I first listened to this call, I had no idea this is where this was going, mm. no idea whatsoever. I thought maybe this was going to end up being a suicide or something like that, you know, but we're, we're seeing truthful, raw emotion and, you know, there has been other calls like, like the Dali Rotia call and they said, I hope you didn't touch the knife and she's like, yeah, I did. This guy, they they literally said, are you holding the knife? Are you holding the gun you know have you taken off her and it's okay you know it's quite strange different ways and different things that people ask you know but we we can hear his pain and it's just um it's just horrifying to hear I mean he's basically standing in hell and um you know the woman that he loves the woman that he married has just killed their babies yeah okay let's continue Get off the phone. No, stop. Get off the phone. Go out. Get off the phone. Go out. Do you know her date of birth, Jacob? 129.88. One, one, one okay. I'm going to just keep you on the phone with me, okay? Okay. It's interesting. The dispatcher has completely changed her routine, hasn't she? 
Yep, she knows that Jake's in danger. She knows that um, everything is being recorded. She knows that she can hear Sarah in the background and the recording is getting that as well. And and she knows that Sarah wants this call to be over. She knows that um, Sarah is still a danger to herself as well as to Jake, mm. as well as to anyone else who comes near the house. And so, you know, so now it's about two things. And one is that Jake is safe. And the other is all of this evidence that she is collecting about Sarah's disordered mind. So, you know, she she will be aware that there was prior calls that night and she would know that there was the welfare check. So now she has to keep Jake on that call to keep him from breaking. Well, look, I know this is a tough one, but let's continue. has the gun. Sarah has actually been trying to choke herself at this point, and now she's actually begging for him to end her life. Yeah, I mean, who would blame him at that moment for doing it? I mean, I don't justify homicide, but, you know, I've seen people do it for less. And, um, you know, this is as raw as it gets. This is, you know, pure hell for this poor man. You know, mm. we've done so many calls where the person on the phone is usually the killer and more often than not, you know, it's about concealing the crime. But here we've got Jake and he is just in so much emotional pain. And um, I'm not denying that Sarah is, isn't is because she's certainly in a lot of pain too because she now knows what she's done. Yeah. Um, the, the scariest part is, is that she will actually be declared sane and if she, she will stand trial, you know, and we want to 
think that she was mentally ill that, you know, as a mum, you know, I couldn't consider doing anything like this to my children. And, you know, we would hope that she was crazy to kill her, her, mm. her two young daughters, you know. And this is an issue that, that we see, you know, because mental health isn't actually often linked to homicide. You know, it does occur. But the rates of um, not guilty by reason of insanity is so low because people are found to be in their right mind when they do it. Now, what we're hearing doesn't sound like it, you know, but we're just left with the daunting um, realisation that she was sane when she did this. And, you know, I don't know if I agree with that, but I'm, I'm not the expert in the trial. But um, it just is, you know, you, you would hope she was crazy to kill her, her daughters. I think mental health is a very complicated issue that we still it haven't is. got our heads around. Look, there isn't much to go in this, guys, and there is a journey getting to the end of this. Well, let's continue. No! blaming him for this issue yep yep she's saying you know why didn't you get me help before and you know he's saying i did you know this guy is going to spend the rest of his life with these what ifs he's going to spend the rest of his life with you know had i not cancelled that call had when the police come i was more forceful if i'd have put the girls in, in into bed with me you know and locked her outside or something you know he is going to spend the rest of his life going through those what ifs you know and he was nothing but patient and caring you know he tried to get her help he was calm he didn't want to use words that would upset her he just wanted to get her some help and you know this is the outcome hmm. well then he tries to ask her why why didn't you say something Thank you. 
interesting in that he's actually starting to get answers from her and she's almost lucid in a way yeah she is she she knows exactly now what's happened um and like she she just said she didn't go to sleep like she promised him that she would do she actually waited for him to go to sleep before she perpetrated the murders which gives you a sense that these were pre-meditated though we have to understand that there's probably no motive for it except her mental health. Now, she knew what she was going to do, and the only reason that he's actually alive is because the gun misfired. Yeah. You know, so the, the dispatcher is still on, on the call and she's arranging all the various responders, you know, and we can just hear slight radio chatter in the background, but she's just typing what she can and she's just staying on, on that line. Well... It's been an agonising 15-minute phone call. The first responders are almost there, but Jake has to make it too. The dispatcher knows he is broken and he's also holding a loaded gun. Look, she's done with the questions and is now just a person on the phone. She's actually his final lifeline before the responders arrive. Nothing. I'm lost. 
broken man that was very very tough what happened next amanda well the police and ambulances arrived but the children are dead obviously um and sarah actually admits that she had killed them and was instantly arrested for the crimes and look at her arraignment she pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity but she was found to be mentally competent to stand trial a second round of mental health assessments were undertaken and one doctor found her sane the other did not Eventually, she was offered a plea deal of life without parole instead of the death penalty at the request of Jake and one of the fathers of Sarah's daughters. Amanda, a tough one. It certainly is. Every time he cried, I cried too. I just, I, it, yeah, you can hear that pain and it's... It's, it's tangible. It is, it is, and I just, I don't know. I'm very emotional at the moment and this was just one of those cases that it, we're looking at it from a different point of view and, you know, we're always about those gotcha moments often on, on this program, but this was one where it sort of plays out in reverse and it's, I don't know, it's just... There are no winners here, there are just no. losers That's and right. plenty of victims. Um, tough one, as I said. But I'm glad I heard it because when I hear things like this, I, I stop and think how lucky we are. Whatever we think our problems are, mm-hmm. you know, there are people doing it much worse. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another edition of Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. We'll be back to a serial killer next week. And Amanda, uh, thank you once again. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.